be a lifestyle investor is to put your life first, put your values first, put your family values first, and to be able to live in accordance with those. That's Justin Donald, and this is episode 438 of the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. Wellness Wisdom, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life and begin from that platform of sacred relationship to the self to begin to orient towards others in that same way? If you felt bad with the last millionth of a second, well, let go of the things that were making you feel bad that millionth of a second and be new right this millionth of a second. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that. (laughs) As far as I've heard, 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. And use the code WellnessForce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Hey, it's Josh. You're here. You made it. It's Wellness Wisdom. The past seven years built this house and you have arrived on its doorstep. I'm so grateful that you're here. I've had a lot of people message me with impact about the video that was on YouTube last week with episode 437, Death and Rebirth. We are all going through death and rebirth right now. I know you feel it in your heart, in your soul. Can you feel it? What have you let die recently? What have you let be born recently? Let me know. Send me a message on Instagram. It's Josh Trent official. You are here. This is the Wellness Wisdom Podcast, where you will always be able to discover physical and emotional intelligence so you can live your life well in this modern world. And today we're going to go deep into the topic, well, the top of the Pentagon of wellness. This is the final frontier for me, for all of us, and really the keystone of wellness, at least here in the modern world, this keystone of financial health and financial intelligence. Let's be honest, without money in modern society that we all signed up to be here in. Unless you live off-grid with a Tesla power supply and your own produce and your own animals and goats and chickens and water and streams. But then again, you still had to buy the land using money and it still took money to create all those things. Then maybe money doesn't apply to you, but for the collective, for the rest of us, it is true. The only way we have the embodiment of the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual self is by creating a space that money holds for us to do so. A space of time not spent working where money works for us and spaciousness to explore and fulfill our human potential. The reality is 
We have to have capacity. Our souls signed up to be here and modern society uses money to create capacity, capacity to care for yourself, to buy the high quality foods and supplements and life experiences that bring you joy, capacity to care for others, to support your family and your friends and people who need help and capacity to attend seminars and buy books and get the right wellness tools in your life that'll help you thrive. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I felt like people spend so much time working, like these adults don't actually live. Well, with the right kind of financial intelligence that you're gonna learn today, our guest is gonna change that sentence forever. This wisdom is called lifestyle investing. And my friend and guest has been called by Entrepreneur Magazine a master of low-risk cash flow investing, specializing in investment systems that consistently produce profitable results. His ethos is to create wealth without creating a job. And in the span of 21 months before his 37th birthday, his investments drove enough passive income for both he and his wife, Jennifer, to leave both of their jobs no more J-O-Bs. He's the author of The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cash Flow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom, and his name is Justin Donald. In today's podcast, you're going to learn about what is true financial intelligence, how do you build it, how do you have it for yourself, how do you become a lifestyle investor, why you do not have to be rich or wealthy to become a lifestyle investor. We'll explore the discipline of saving money for true returns. And we'll talk about why wellness for me, for all of us in all of our programs, has now gone from a quadrant to a pentagon. Wellness for me used to be a quadrant and it's a pentagon now because of finance. I'm going to talk about that. We'll also talk about self-sabotage when it comes to our money story. You know, your vibe attracts your tribe. I've had to do a lot of inner work on what money means to me. And Justin is going to share a really specific path for you to do that for yourself. Really, this episode is about freedom. It's about financial freedom and building a life that actually serves your mission. And of course, we'll touch on a few of the 10 commandments of cash flow investing, because at the end of the day, this is not a money podcast. This is a podcast that's here to bring you wisdom about how you can embody this physical and emotional intelligence to live your life well. That is the goal of every episode. We've all signed up to be here, as I've mentioned. So wherever your money story lives in your subconscious, and God knows I've had my own, I really feel like if you open your heart today to what Justin is sharing, this wisdom can change your life. Everything on this podcast can be found at joshtrent.com forward slash 438. Make sure you head over to the store page. As always, we have the amazing programs and supplements and everything that I personally use at joshtrent.com forward slash store. Go easy on us, by the way. We're still building out the new website and everything's taking you directly back to Wellness Force Media right now. So just go to the store page, wellnessforce.com forward slash store, joshtrent.com forward slash store. There's a huge opportunity for you today. Justin has given us a beautiful discount, 10% off. Just use the code Josh over at joshtrent.com forward slash 438. That'll take you right to the show notes page where you can learn everything about all the different programs and offerings and education from Justin himself, where you can join a group that I'm in called the Lifestyle Investor. And this is gonna help you in so many ways establish freedom, which is really at the core of wellness is freedom. And since we're here on planet earth, we may as well be free. Let's tune in with the one and only Justin Donald. Justin, welcome to the show. Dude, so great to be Thanks here. Thanks for being here at my yeah. house. Uh, we did some uh, some hoppe. It's the first time you've done that. That's right. <laughs> How was that experience? It was really interesting. Yeah, you know, the, the first few minutes of it are just incredibly intense, yeah. uh, especially for someone that hasn't really 
you know, done anything with that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, today is really special for me because as I've had a son and my audience knows this, we're really focused on wealth on financial intelligence, which is, let's face it, it's not something that all parents know how to teach, man. So you're the author of The Lifestyle Investor, which is a book that I've read cover to cover. Um, my One of my favorite chapters right here is just going through the motions. So mm-hmm. we're not going to go through just the motions today. Uh, tell people if they don't know anything about you, you know, who are you in a nutshell? I mean, I'm sure it's a big ass nutshell, but tell, <laughs> but tell people like the small version of if they just met you, you know, what do you, what do you stand for in the world and, and how do you serve? Sure. Yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, pretty powerful question. I actually love asking people this question because I'm always curious of people's story, who yeah, they are. Not too. what do you do, Yeah, but who are you That's the classic core? party question. What yeah. do you do? AKA, how do you make your money? That's right. It's more like, how do you serve? That's right. right. What do you do in the world to help people? That's right. Um, so for me, I just, I love people. I'm a relationship guy. So if I can serve in a capacity of just connecting with people, I love that. If I can, you know, offer any wisdom that I've gained either because I took the hard fall uh, and I learned that way or just because I had good experiences, um, you know, either way is good. Uh, my, my real goal and mission is to help people buy their time back. So mm. my, what, what I've noticed is most people are kind of a slave to something. They're a slave to... I don't know, the job they have to the business that they've built. Maybe they wanted autonomy and freedom and they built this business that maybe gave them more of that than when they are, you know, an employee. And now all of a sudden the business owns them. And so I just see a lot of entrepreneurs um, on this treadmill that they can't get off where, you know, maybe they're making more, but they're owned you know, in some way, shape, or form. They've got golden handcuffs, either to the lifestyle that they currently live, the lifestyle that they want to have. Um, some people are a slave to security and routine and what is known and are scared of the unknown. So my goal is to really help people see that there's a way that they can buy their time back to spend it on the things that matter most, the people that matter most, the things that bring them joy and passion and, and give them energy. You know, there are always things that we do that are like this leech to the time. Like it's it's so hard to do. It's like it just sucks the energy out of you. But there's conversely the things that people do that just give them life and they just shine. And so most people I feel like don't carve out that time. They're too busy going through life, reacting, responding, autopilot, this, you know, thing happen, let me take care of it, let me address it, versus proactively creating a life by design that is empowering, exciting, um, just compelling, a, a passion to, to live and to lead and to serve. Yeah. And, and I think now it's more attractive than ever because of, you know, how, whatever your views are, I think what's been going on for the past two years is a psychology experiment. We're kind of weeding out like who are the ones that are mentally strong and that can be controlled versus who are the ones that really want to have a life by design. And I think when you look at cash flow and you just look at the financial intelligence that's needed right now is a really pivotal time. We see the gap widening between 
those that have intelligence around money and those that don't. How would you even define financial intelligence? It's a, it's a word that you and I have heard a bunch, but to be truly intelligent when it comes to your money and finances, um, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have a ton of investments. You have a Cutco background. Like You've been in the game for a long time. So how would you define um, someone who is financially intelligent? Like, wh- wh- What would that be? Well, that's an interesting question because you have people in the conventional system that would consider themselves financially intelligent. But to me, if you're, if you don't own your time, then you're missing a big component, right? So maybe you're financially intelligent, but you're just rich or you have like great income. But what if that income owns you? I know a lot of people that make a lot of money, but the money owns them. And Mm. the success owns them or ego owns them. Mm. So to me, financial intelligence is, you know, partially, hey, do you know how to make money and do you have enough to cover what it is, you know, what what your lifestyle costs you? And then do you have enough to invest and save beyond that? Do you have money for a rainy day just in case? Uh, But I think the next tier of financial intelligence is really what do you want out of life and are your finances serving it? So... You can have all the money in the world, but if you're a slave to money or if you're trying to keep up with you know, the next person, you're not really experiencing what true financial freedom provides. So to me, financial intelligence is like step number one, do you have enough money to cover what it is that you want to do? Yeah. And step number two is, do you have the money to serve you and allow you to use your gifts the way that you've been created and to help other people and to live a life that is just totally enjoyable where you can spend time on the things that you just love to do. Some people have heard of Abraham Maslow's work, you know, the hierarchy of needs. And at the bottom is like safety and security. It's, Hey, like you're talking, do I have enough money to have a roof over my head? Are my kids fed? Like, are are we okay on like a, uh, like a sacral chakra level? And it's funny because I see so many people that are in marketing and we're in the marketing world, I guess you could say. Would you consider your line of work to be um, marketing as well as education? Yeah, I guess there's a certain element that is marketing. You have to be a marketer to really succeed in this world now. Yeah, but at the end of the day, my goal is not the marketing angle. It's not to grow the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. I really just want to make sure that I'm living a life that's in alignment with what I have set forth, meaning I've carved out time to figure out what I want. And am I purposefully living that life? Mm -hmm. And in turn, am I helping other people to do that as well? So there's a marketing angle. But at the end of the day, if my group stays small, if my impact stays small, that is totally fine to me. I, I don't feel like I need to you know, maximize. I'm trying to get out of this world of maximizing and optimizing. And Hmm. I think that a lot of people, like that's the rally cry. Did you get every last maximization out? Did you wring the rag dry? Did you get the best deal you possibly could? And you're, you totally like crushed it at the negotiation table. Or did you get a great deal where everyone wins and everyone feels good about it, right? You don't have to get everything out of it. Yeah, you have these commandments, which um, are in the book, and obviously we're not going to be able to go deep in all of them. But the one that I love the most, and I told you this when we had brunch, it was always negotiate. And and no matter if you're an entrepreneur, like you're in a company and you want to go to the next level, or you're buying a house, or you're negotiating a podcast sponsorship or whatever it is, this this piece about not just accepting what is given to you, 
when you go to a deal or when you go to get a raise or when you go to get anything financially, do you feel like with your students and even yourself, when it comes to this commandment of always negotiate, does it have a direct correlation with someone's worth, with how they feel about themselves? In other words, they go to the table. If they don't love themselves, they're probably not going to be able to negotiate. Yeah, I think some of it probably has to do with that, you know, self-worth, self-image. But I think some of it has to do with confidence in their skill set to do anything. I think some people don't even know that this is a negotiation. Anything, everything is a negotiation. And it's not, again, to maximize. If you're getting offered something, it's probably a good deal for them. That's why they're offering it to you. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's a good deal to you. To them, it's a good deal. But how do you make it a good deal to you? Maybe it is. Maybe what they offer is a great deal, and you can just take it. But instead of just taking it, why don't you think through and say, hey, am I winning? Like, does this feel good to me? Am I going to resent this later on? Or is there something else I should be going for? So again, it's not maximization, but how do we get to something that really is a good win-win on both sides of the equation? You learned this when you were seven. You had a door-to-door paper route. <laughs> seventh grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. I, by the way, I, I wish I was doing this at seven. That, right. that would be All amazing. Right. Okay. There's a little bit of age discrepancy there. <laughs> so you're in seventh grade and your dad worked a lot. And so you really cut your teeth going door-to-door, understanding what rejection truly was. Because I think that's what makes most people kind of deny the aspect of negotiation is they don't want to feel rejection. So how did that shape you, you know, learning about rejection at such a young age in seventh grade? When I was in seventh grade, I was playing video games. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't learning about sales and, and being rejected. Sure. And don't get me wrong. I played some video games as well. So okay, I'm, okay. I'm, you know, had plenty of fun. But, um, you know, there, there's just something to be said about learning these things at a young age. I, I've got to tell you, at the beginning, it was really hard. I took yeah. everything personally. I felt like people didn't like me. I felt like I wasn't good. You know, maybe I wasn't good enough, like just really questioning who I was. Is this the right fit for me? Why am I not good at this? Because my whole first week, and it was, uh, quite frankly, it was longer than my first week, but like inside my whole first week, I took a job that was a commission job. So I only got paid if I sold, but I didn't sell anything. I wasn't good at the beginning. Yeah. And I was just like, people were rough, even to a, seventh grader. And, um, and so what ended up happening is I just had this realization, you know, number one, it's nothing personal. They're not saying anything to me. They're saying it about my offer or the product, the service, whatever it is. And that realization was really big. And then the second one, I saw other people getting better results than me. And I figured, well, if they can get them, I can too. So I just need to model and emulate and be a copycat. And that really was kind of like the foundation for future success that I've had is that I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. I just found whoever was doing whatever the thing was, the best, and I just copied the heck out of it mm-hmm. until I got those results. And I just didn't innovate until I had the results. Once I had the results, I was okay innovating. And you had to be like really, really strong emotionally. Like where do you get, you know, as an investor, as a lifestyle investor, you have to be very strong emotionally, but also you have to just learn through experience. There's no shortcut to life experiential learning. It's just, that's the only part about the equation where we see all these guides. It's like the five biggest ways to earn wealth and, you know, the seven ways to save money. All of these things are cool, but they're really intellectual. There's something on, a, on an emotional and even a spiritual level too, that we have to embody 
in order to be a true lifestyle investor, lifestyle entrepreneur, lifestyle person. What is that for you? The, the spiritual, the emotional component of the skills that we need in order to handle being a lifestyle anything. Yeah. And for me, I just, I came to a point where I realized I'm enough just the way that I am. You know, I, I've been created and, and I have a purpose uh, here on this earth and I want to really serve in the capacity that I can. And early on, it, you know, it really showed up in kind of the, the works that I did. Um, later on, I realized it was more in who I was and really tapping into the, the natural innate gifts that I've been blessed with, uh, which are just different from everyone. Everyone has different, unique gifts. Yeah. And so I just kind of got clear on that. And then another big thing is I started divorcing my results from who I was. Because early on in my career, I really took a lot of my um, successes maybe is who I was, or then if I wasn't doing well, then maybe, you know, I was on this emotional roller coaster of like, hey, when things are really good, I'm crushing it. I'm doing well. Mm. When business is tough, man, I'm, I'm not doing as well. And that roller coaster is not healthy. A <laughs> lot of people live on it. I lived on it. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy to get off that roller coaster. Yeah. The, I've heard it in Joe Dispenza's work, um, even in his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself where we can get addicted to the highs and lows of life. Kind of like, I'm rich, I'm not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bitcoin's up, Bitcoin's down. I felt that a little bit in the past six months. So, so how did you personally get off the roller coaster? Like, what did that look like in a tactile way? A lot of people listening are probably maybe just beginning their journey of being a lifestyle investor, understanding what money even is. Uh, how did you do that for yourself? How did you unwind the the mentality around that? Well, there are a couple of different tiers here. You know, one of them is, is that, you know, are you deriving your human life value on works, on what you do, on what you perform, on, on you know, output? Um, so that part, you know, that's one puzzle to solve and that we all have greater value and greater purpose than whatever result we just got. But secondly, I'd say it becomes a lot easier when you don't have to work for money. So to a certain degree, you've got these bills, you've got to pay, um, you know, you have a lifestyle that you've become accustomed to. And once you can remove the financial component to it, there's so much more clarity. And you can talk to, you know, people that have had big exits from businesses. You can talk to people who had big successes. Um, and the the thing that you'll see that you'll get back to, a lot of them are not happy. Why? Because they worked so hard to get this thing, and then it wasn't what they thought it would be. A lot of these people that have big exits, they realize, oh, I worked so hard to strive to do this, and I got this, and it felt really good that day, maybe that week. I got a bunch of digits in the bank account, but... <laughs> nothing has changed. Like I'm, I'm me, everything that I showed up here with, um, is still here. And I feel like I need purpose, you know, and, and getting this outcome isn't the end all be all like I thought it was going to be. And I feel like the identity that's placed on that is huge because I remember Tom Billu was talking about this once. He's been on the show a couple of times. And in one of the interviews, he was like, once I saw all the zeros in my bank account, when I sold the, the Quest Bars, I didn't feel any different. And I was like, how is that possible? This is probably like 10 plus million dollar valuation. Actually, Quest Bars, probably a hundred million dollars. And I'm like, okay, if he's telling me that, and he's one of the most successful entrepreneurs in media, then maybe it's not about the invisible carrot. 
maybe it's not about like getting to there, there. It's about who you actually become on a fundamental spiritual, emotional level. How does that, how does that happen for someone? Uh, obviously we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of how to invest and, and beginning stages of that. But before we get into that, how do you change who you are when it comes to ending the roller coaster and getting rid of the carrot? You know, that's an interesting question. And the interesting thing about it is a lot of people don't realize until they've kind of achieved what they wanted to achieve that maybe that shouldn't have been the end goal. But you can realize it earlier if you live vicariously through other people, if you learn other people's lessons, if you listen to wisdom of other people that have experienced it. But I mean, the the old saying is very true that it's about who you become. It's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And it's so true. You know, I, I see it all the time. And uh, keep in mind, in, in my world, I didn't have like this huge exit where all of a sudden I was done. I had a bunch of singles and doubles and that's it. So my experience has been a little bit different, but the people that I coach, a lot of the people in my mastermind, they've had monster exits. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an endless number of people that, you know, kind of realize later like, oh, life's bigger than just this thing I've been chasing. And maybe I misprioritize the value of money or I misprioritize the value of business and how many hours I spent. And um, once they redirect, they're able to live an even more purposeful, passionate life. Um, Sometimes you have to experience that to figure it out. But some people can say, hey, I'm going to take what, you know, this person said, I'm going to take, you know, my friend who had an exit and uh, talk to them and and learn their takeaways and, and, you know, really learn the lessons now, maybe shift what I'm pursuing. Do you feel like it's always when it comes to being financially smart, learning from other people, like you said, living vicariously through someone's lessons and getting wisdom that way? What specific turning points have you had in life where you're like, wow, that was some supreme financial wisdom that I learned. <laughs> you know, can you share one of those moments where you you really course corrected and maybe how that relates to the invisible carrot? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that we always want to be living with and around people that are playing the game of life or the game of business or investing at a higher level because there's education, there's clarity, there's wisdom, there's so much that can be taken from it. So you don't have to experience what they've experienced to learn those lessons and you can shift and autocorrect along the way. I mean, I can tell you endless stories of like, I thought it was this, but it ended up being that. Yeah. And some of that comes from, you know, let's just, you know, play a simple game out where even as a, a budding entrepreneur, I, I really put a lot of, um, I guess, pride in my work ethic. So I could work harder than anyone else in my network. I, you know, I could put the hours in. So the badge of honor was hours worked. Yeah. And that served me until it didn't. And often my experience has been whatever gets you to a certain level is not the same thing that's going to get you to the next level. And just hanging around other people, they're like, that, you know, why are you working so much? Why are you working so hard? Take a step back, figure out how to get the results, but without so much work. How do you empower others to do it? How do you build a culture in your organization or build systems around protocols, software, uh, people, whatever that looks like? And so um, in one 
you know, sense uh, as an entrepreneur, I was the entrepreneur that just busted my butt. Eventually, I learned how to work smart, not hard. Um, you can work both, smart and hard. Was that because of pain or was that because of intelligence? Like, did you learn through pain or did you learn through wisdom? Well, I think both. I mean, I remember at one point, you know, as a new entrepreneur, I was working some crazy hours. I like mean, 100 I, plus a oh, week? Yeah. yeah, easily 100 to 120 a week. Easily. I mean, you, you just can't sustain that on a physiological level. It'll crush you. Correct. Over time. Correct. Yet that's applauded. It's applauded yes. in the business world for some reason. It is. And um, I learned, you know, I remember sitting in my office. Um, it was a Friday night, like 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m., all my friends are out. Hey, let's, you know, let's go out to the bars. Let's meet up. You know, what are you doing? And I'm still at the office. And I remember thinking, hey, I'm really okay with this season right now. I'm okay working hard. I'm, work, uh, I'm okay. Like, I didn't have a team. I didn't know how to develop people at that time. I was a one-man show. Um, I was, you know, kind of figuring that out. I wasn't great at working through people. But I remember saying, I can't work like this when I have a family. You know, w- when I'm married... Yeah. My my spouse needs more time than me being at the office on a Friday night at ten ten thirty in the evening, and um, and so I, I knew that that was a, a season and that season would be short lived, and I was willing to make that sacrifice, but I knew that I had to figure out a way out of it so that later on, um, I didn't have to do that. That I can have a life, I can raise a family, I can you know provide the time that that my spouse that my daughter is going to want. And so I, I saw in the future the life that I wanted and my schedule uh, just wasn't sustainable or even desirable, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but in that season, it was all right. You know, I learned some great lessons and I'm thankful that I know how to work hard. I mean, how, that work ethic is great. How long was that season? Um, probably three years. Okay. So for people that are out there, it doesn't mean it's forever. That's like right. maybe you go through a season of really hard work, like 100 hour plus weeks. And not everybody has the recipe, the ingredients or the DNA, Justin, to be a true entrepreneur. But this term lifestyle investor, which I love, I mean, this is what you wrote the book about. What does that even mean to to be a lifestyle investor? Does it mean that you have to have a ton of capital? Does it mean that you have to have hardcore financial acumen? What does that mean to, to you to be a, a lifestyle investor? And has it changed since you've written the book, that that term? Yeah, you know, I think the the term has evolved. I mean, the, the way that I look at it now, and even the way I looked at it then was that to, to be a lifestyle investor, you're in charge of your life. You're in charge of building an incredible life that can support itself based on income coming in. So instead of working for a paycheck, working for a business, working for your business, why not buy assets that produce income? Those assets cover the cost of life. Well, now your choices become better quality choices. Your problems become better quality problems. You don't have to worry about, can I cover my bills? Can I put food on the table? Can I support my family? Now it's, hey, where do I want to spend my time? Who do I want to spend my time with? What are the things that bring me the most energy and joy and and passion in life? So those shifts. So when I think about being a lifestyle investor, it really is a focus on owning your time. You know, Mm -hmm. I look at wealth uh, much differently than I think a lot of people. And I outline it in in my book. Most people, when you say wealthy, they, they think about money. And I think money is a component of it. But I think it's much greater than that. You know, I know a lot of people that have a lot of money, but their physical health is horrible and they can't really do a lot. They're, you know, they're on a trajectory that is going to be a short life. 
uh, or they have bad relationships with their the people they love most because they've prioritized work or money over those relationships. So that to me just is out of alignment. It's just incongruent with who I am, what I want out of life. So you know, to be a lifestyle investor is to put your life first, put your values first, put your family values first, and to be able to live in accordance with those. Do you find in your groups that by the time people come, because you have a pretty high level mastermind, it's not for the beginning investor. This is for like seasoned people. But if you could pull like the memory e-break and go back in time and remember what it was when you like first started Cutco, which I seem like seems like a lot of really successful entrepreneurs started in Cutco. Rob Dial, who's been on the show, and and a few other people. Cut what what what? First of all, what was it about Cutco that made people successful? Was it the the element of like paying with commission, dealing with rejection? So that's the first part. And then secondly, I want to unpack some of the mentality around how to start, how to actually begin. Um, your journey as an investor. But Cutco first, like what's up with that company? Well, Cutco is just a great training ground. You know, you, you learn all the things that, you know, kind of you're going to be faced with. So if you can weather the storm of rejection, handling objections, um, you know, learning and growing, getting better, um, really riding the waves of like good times and bad times. Uh, I, I just think that you learn a lot, you grow a lot with a lot of the success that you see from people in Cutco and a lot of people in my friend group. Um, you've got these people that really excelled in that business. And so a lot of them ended up spending time together, getting to know one another. Sharing a lot secrets. More. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. And it's knives. Cutco is knives. That's right. And cutlery. That's right. Nothing else. That's right. So you literally cut your teeth at Cutco, and then that's when you started investing. That that's was right. the beginning journey. So pulling the e-brake, what did that feel like for you back then? Because maybe a lot of people with us right now, they're there. They're like at that point, at their company, they're just starting. So in the time machine, do you remember how you felt? Do you remember what your life was like? Yeah, you know, I felt really good at the beginning because, so I started investing when I was 18. Um, I was a finance major in, in at the University of Illinois. They have an incredible business program. And I took, you know, all these courses from adjunct professors that were great at their craft, and um, so I knew that I needed to invest the money that I had, that I needed to not just consume or live at what I was able to earn. Yeah. Uh, so I started investing at a young age, but I went the route that I think most people go. I was the good kid who followed conventional wisdom and I did my Roth IRA and I, you know, did these different, you know, retirement accounts, qualified plans. I um, saved money. I had my, you know, kind of rainy day or emergency fund of money just in case everything were to go belly up that I could survive for, you know, at first it was a month, then it was three months, then it was six months. Um, just for that peace of mind, just you know, to make sure I'm, I'm doing things the right way. And I was proud. I was proud that I was able to be disciplined to save money. And I thought I was doing it the right way. I was doing it the way that everyone told me I was supposed to be doing it. And I really got a punch in the gut when I learned later on that the money I had been putting in the stock market, in qualified plans, in, you know, just in the financial markets, the conventional way um, wasn't yielding what I thought it was yielding. In fact, it wasn't even yielding what they were telling me it was yielding because mm. I was getting 
manipulated numbers that made it look better than it really was. Yes. So I had this aha moment where I'm like, wait a minute, I just added up how much money I invested. I added up how much money I had like made and my statements were saying like I've got, you know, 7% return over, you know, this year and it's like, oh, that's really good. But when I looked at the real numbers, I had less money than what I put in. How is it possible that my average rate of return is some positive number but my actual rate of return is negative? I'm losing money. That that really upset me. Mm-hmm. And that set me on the path for finding a better way to invest. So, you know, your first question is like, how did you feel? How did you get started? I just got started putting a little money away, but I put it in the wrong vehicles. I put it in vehicles that retail investors put it in. Um, I had the highest fees because I'm, you know, kind of playing the Wall Street game, the stock market game. And by yeah. the way, you can make money there. I'm not saying you can't. But I was 100% there uh, for what wasn't going back into my business. And so that was a big eye-opener where I said, all right, I got to get out. I've got I've to do things differently. I'm going to go to the wholesale side, not the retail side, uh, which is more private equity, alternative investments, real estate, that type of thing. And I started seeing some great returns. I was having less fees, greater returns, more depreciation, more control, it just made more sense to me. And so I just shifted my focus. So I still was investing, you know, every paycheck that I got. What percentage were you investing from like age 18 to 25? So I was I was investing at least 20% of what I made. 20%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's discipline. Yes. Um, I had that kind of ingrained at a young age. I wanted to get ahead. Who ingrained that for you? <sighs> Books, people around me, um, hmm. people in Cutco, uh, just people that I trusted and looked up to. And by the way, I think that's great. I mean, at one point in time as a professional, I was investing half of what I made. So, you know, my first few years, it was, you know, around 20%. Then I got it to 25, then 30. But eventually, you know, for probably, I don't know, five, 10 years, I was investing half of what I was making mm-hmm. um, because that was my ticket out. I, I recognize that if I can get cash flow on my money, then I wouldn't have to keep needing to earn money based on my time spent. Yeah. Does and that, that's where I wanted to exit. Does that same model of, of approach, does it work when someone is an employee? Like, for example, let's say somebody earns uh, $2,000 to $4,000 a month and they start at 10%. If they can live really frugal for a while, 20%. So they pull that out. They put it into maybe an envelope method, you know, some type of method where they're at least holding it, not just for a rainy day, but like to use it in a smart way. Does it, does it truly matter how much capital you have when you begin, or is it more just the traditional mindset of getting it out of these high-feed uh, programs and putting it to more uh, in the path like you're talking about? Well, th- there are a few different ways to look at this. So the one thing that I'll say is the discipline of saving money and investing money in itself is going to be a fruitful return. So even if it's not yielding a lot in the moment, if you can put money aside that you don't spend today that can earn you money tomorrow. That in itself is going to set people up for a lot of success. That set me up for a lot of success because uh, most likely people are going to make more money every year. Or, you know, let's say that you're, you got a corporate gig. 
you're going to probably get some sort of a pay raise each year, right? Maybe it's a small percent. If you um, negotiate properly. If you negotiate <laughs> properly, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And money's going to, you know, more money's being printed, right? So it takes more dollars to get the same result. So people over time will likely make a little bit more. And at some point, some people might have a big jump, but over time, most people are going to continue to make a little more because the salary that got someone at one point in time, is going to take a little bit more to get them later on when money's not worth as much. Um, so anyway, you, you strike it, having some sort of discipline of investing, I think is great. Then I think it's, do you want to ride the wave of retail stock market because you don't want to put the time into learning. You trust someone else to do it. And by the way, there are great financial planners out there, Mm -hmm. but in the last 15 years, 95% of them did not outperform just doing the S&P 500 index. So you yourself at the lowest fee possible for access to the market could be investing in indexes and outperform 95% of the money managers. Most people don't realize that. So they pay more money to make less money than if they just did that. And on top of it, for people that want to kind of make an even bigger return that will take the opportunity to, you know, learn and educate, they can get into real estate, they can get into private equity, they can get into different things that allow them, they can get into private credit um, that help them make bigger returns and with, you know, less fees, more control, you know, plenty of these things are are liquid as well. I used to think that wellness was a square and it's a pentagon because physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Yeah. Those are things that we all have to constantly fill. It's like a glass of water and we have like all these four glasses of water. We don't always have to borrow chi or energy or education from one glass and put it in another. But I tell, I'll tell you, man, I had the complete and total disillusionment for a long time that wellness was those four things. And it's actually a pentagon. (laughs) So wellness for me has shifted. It's no longer a square. It's a pentagon. And that fifth glass, that fifth area is finance. Look, whether people have a story about money, money's the evil thing. Money doesn't grow on trees, blah, blah, blah. I had a ton of that when I was growing up. And this story around money is actually a collective wound that I feel like we're experiencing as humans. We all signed up to be here. We're here on planet earth. And really, whether you like it or not, if you drop a pen, gravity is a law. And there's a law of wealth too. And I'm sure you know many laws when it comes to wealth. If we are wounded by money and if we have a story about money, money's not going to come to us, right? You can call it law of attraction or you could just call it maybe a financial law. Can you share with us like your wisdom on your own money story? How did that play out for you? And maybe even with some of the students that you've worked with, what is the continuous through line with this money story and the money wounding that we all have a narrative in our our mind about? Yeah. I mean, the beliefs that people have around money are going to most certainly impact their ability to build their, you know, financial war chest, their ability to build their financial wealth. And I think most people, um, my experience for myself and the people in my network is that their beliefs around money, their mindset around money is borrowed from someone else and borrowed because someone projected a certain thing and they took it as fact versus doing their own homework or coming up with their own beliefs around it. And often if those beliefs are disempowering, then self-sabotage 
ultimately kicks in. People have a hard time. I know a ton of people have a hard time keeping money, building wealth because of their mindset, because of their beliefs around it. And so, um, you know, my goal and even the beginning of my book, I talk a lot about mindset because I do think that's where it all starts. One shift in mindset changes the game. Your one shift in mindset moving from, you know, like to, you know, having the extra layer for financial on, you know, your, your, you know, uh, your square, right? Yeah. Um, that can't be unseen. Mm-hmm. You can't unlearn that. No. Like from now on, that is a reality in your world. And so I think once people learn that, see that, experience that, that becomes the game changer. But how do you how do you make that small mindset shift? Because it's it's not much. You just have to be exposed to it. You just yeah. whether you read it, whether you hang out with someone, you just have to have exposure. And then you're learning someone else's rule set or beliefs around money. And then you can choose to adopt them or not. You know, some people look at what I do and, you know, kind of the things that I say and they're like, oh, I can't do that. But you'll have a person in the same exact situation will say, oh yeah, I could totally do that. I'm so glad I heard this. So it it really is. It comes down to personal choice. It comes down to beliefs. You you say someone installed it. What you really mean is mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or caregiver. Like those are the people, and we love them. It's not about like shaming our parents or or shaming our grandparents or our caregivers, but they do unwillingly, uh, I'm sorry, unknowingly, they imprint us on a subconscious level of money doesn't grow on trees, expect the worst to happen when it comes to money. Money is for rich people or whatever it is. Where does that come from? What exactly is that? And have you yourself dealt with literally having to rip your money story out by the roots and install a new tree. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, early what was that on, like? Yeah, I, I mean, the the saying, money doesn't grow on trees, was the common saying in my household. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, just paying attention to how my parents live. My parents, by the way, are amazing people. Yeah. Uh, we've got a great relationship. They're moving here to Austin, which is cool. I'm going to get more time with them. So, I mean, we're, we're very close. Um, but the mindset around it was it is scarce and you hold on to it and you hold on to it tight Mm. well if you're holding on to money tight it is really hard to make more money if you're not letting it go and letting it go to work it's going to be really hard to create more i mean you can make it via you know your time spent doing things and my dad has an incredible work ethic. I learned that from him uh, in many ways that served me well. And in many ways, it didn't serve me, right? Um, and so like that whole like mindset around work ethic and uh, you've got to work hard for your money and you got to put in hours, that was great when I didn't know, you know, kind of like an abundance around money, when I didn't know that there was a smarter way to do it. The moment I learned there was a smarter way to do it, the game changed. Why work so hard if you can get the same result or a better result with less work? That one's common sense. But the way that you learn that is your exposure to other people that do that. That's why your peer group is so important. That's why mentors and, um, you know, coaches, and keep in mind, everyone today is a life coach. So, just be careful be with careful the word out there y'all coach but yeah. i mean have they done the thing that you want to do in which case you know bring them on as a coach uh, that that's exactly what you want do your due diligence on them and make sure that's the case but surround yourself with the people that are living life the way that you want to live it and that's values as well they have the right values they treat people well they have good relationships yes. uh, they do well financially they're physically fit if that's a value to you to me that's a value so 
um, I'm going to take the advice of someone that has the full package over someone that just has a like a portion of it. Like, hey, maybe you made a lot of money, but I can see your marriage is falling apart. Relationships aren't strong. You snap at people. You're rude. You're angry. Um, you're out of shape. Like, that is not who I would look at as a role model for the life that I want to build. There might be nuggets that I could take. Yeah. There might be things on the negative side I could learn to not repeat. But I would rather find the person that I can just emulate because they have it. They have the whole package. I've never gotten such powerful advice than I did when I went to a Vipassana and Goinka. I don't know if you've ever done long-term Vipassanas or any no. long meditations. Uh-uh. It's um, it's the Vipassana meditation. And at the end of it, it's a 10-day silent meditation. So you're literally, you can't look at anyone. You can't masturbate. You can't do anything other than sit, meditate, and breathe for like 10 hours a day. I mean, it was wild, Justin. It was wild. But you know the biggest gem I got from that? At the very end, the instructor said, everything that you've learned here is not gospel. Everything that you've learned here, you take what resonates and you leave the rest. And it's so powerful because you can apply that lens to anything, right? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial. So looking at this financial lens, for me, the, the tree got shook really hard when I moved to Austin, actually. When I moved to Austin, my income tripled. And my income tripled because... First of all, I was at peace with the fact that financial is part of wellness. I became more at peace with that. And then secondly, I just designed my entire life around people that felt the same. And I don't hang out with people because they have money. I hang out with people because I resonate with the way they think. I resonate with who they are as a human being, as a soul. So how do you build your group? It's not just about like, if some guy has 10 million, you're going to hang out with him. If some guy has 1 million, you may not hang out with It's not about that for you. How do you design your peer group so that naturally, organically, the wealth grows? That's a phenomenal question. Maybe one of the most important questions to solve for. You yeah. know, I, I, for me, I'm just curious. I, I'm curious at heart. I love to learn. Uh, I, I just, I love education. I love meeting people, learning their story, learning what makes them tick, learning how they got to where they did. Um, so to me, I just really like people. And uh, if someone has a cool story and I connect well with them, I want to spend time with them. If they have values that align with my values, that trumps the success that someone, you know, uh, you know, let's call it success on paper uh, that someone has. It's like, yeah, a lot of people have had success. Mm-hmm. Do you have admirable values? Do you live a life that is inspiring, you know, to me or to excuse me, to other people, that to me is, you know, kind of, um, that, that's like, that's the barometer. That's where you start. And what's beautiful here is you have a whole lot of people. The reason I love Austin so much is uh, you can be who you want to be. And there's so little judgment because anyone, everyone is welcome. And so you don't know if the person next to you is a millionaire, a billionaire, living out of their car. You got all of that here in Austin, but you're surrounded by people that just desire community and desire um, a melting pot and you know different ways of doing things and embracing other um, ideas and things that maybe they haven't considered. So 
for me, it's like the connection first. And um, from there, you know, you kind of build. And and if someone's values don't align, I probably am not going to spend a lot of time with them. Sure. If their values do align, um, that's where I want to be. And I don't care how much you've made. I don't care if you've, you know, if you're on a, you know, you're just getting started, you're on a rocket ship, you had a big exit, like whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to learn lessons regardless of where you're at, right? Um, you may have this really cool story and I can glean some, you know, some nuggets from that story. Uh, but I don't like putting, uh, I think a lot of people, and part of the reason I was even hesitant to put, you know, financials in this book or net worth or whatever. I, a lot of people use that to define others and who they want to spend mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. with. And um, that drives me crazy because that is one of the worst um, measurement tools. I, I would much rather measure how strong of relationships people have, um, how authentic they are, uh, how engaged in the moment they are when you're together. I mean, that to me is so much a, a stronger indicator of success than just some dollar amount, which changes. Most people have, you know, paper money. Their net worth is generally inflated. They always think they're worth more than they are. Um, that number changes a ton. Most people are asset rich, cash poor. Um, the number that's more important than that is cash flow. Who cares how much you're worth? Do you have the cash flow to own your time and live in accordance with the life you desire to have? I guarantee there's, I mean, that's where the freedom is. That's where, that's where life takes off. You unlock something special and magical when that happens. And uh, it is just an incredible feeling and experience. Every single human being with a pure desire for freedom, because really that's what we're talking about here. If you're a lifestyle investor, if you're a lifestyle human, you, you crave freedom. You just want to be free to go and be with your wife, your husband, your kids when you say so, not when someone else allows you to do so. Isn't that what this is all about is freedom? For sure. Without a doubt. It's the core of your work is yielding people the fruit so they can be free. That's right. Because when you're free, you make different decisions. Um, I mean, this is the reality. When money is taken care of, I guarantee 99.9% of the world would spend their time differently. When money is not the thing that you need to get to cover a lifestyle or to have a certain status, to whatever it is, yeah. I guarantee things change. I remember some of the most important uh, journaling sessions that I ever did were around what would I do when I had enough money to cover whatever I needed? Let's say I you know, had this huge exit and had all the money. I never had to worry about money ever again. And I started getting clear on what that looked like. And so for me, I was able to start my journey early. I was able to say, hey, these are the things I want. These are the things I do. And I started doing them then. And so it created this much more vibrant life along the way until I finally achieved it. But I think most people... Um, don't really my experience and the people that I have worked with, I've coached people in my mastermind, people in you know investors clubs, different things that I've done. Um, that's not the case, and um, and they don't realize that until maybe they get there. And some people may never get there. And we're all built to want more and to fight contentment, even though contentment is really where a lot of joy is. Mm. But 
where whatever the number is that you want, when you get there, you want more. Yeah. Right? So whatever the number is, the goalposts move. So to have some number is probably, it, 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 it isn't going to serve you if that's the highest good, if that's the number one pursuit. So if we can get clear today on what it is that would just light you up and and create the time and space to experience those things now, then the journey becomes so much more fun along the way. Do you feel like there always has to be a path where you do what you love to make money? Or is it the other path where you could be great at business? Maybe it's a business you don't love. Take the capital, take the, the earnings from that and then fund a life that you do love. In other words, do you have to live your life on purpose to make money and be abundant? Or is there another way? I think there are many ways. I, I don't think that there's one right way. I mean, I could tell you that, I mean, just in what I've seen, there's a ton of ways to do it. Just in what I've experienced, there's a ton of ways to do it. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but if you are living a life that doesn't feel as exciting or as compelling, you may want to consider doing it a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I've done businesses that created money. I've started them. I've worked in them. I've, I've been involved um, where I didn't necessarily love that, but I was making good money. And so, you know, maybe I became a slave to that business for that season um, that served me in that season. Now, in retrospect, could I have done it differently? Yeah. You know, what most people don't realize is if you create the time to actually give you give yourself think time. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways I ever had um, in uh, in one of the books that I read and uh, getting the chance to, uh, to meet Keith Cunningham, uh, he talked about think time and scheduling think time where it's electronics free. You turn everything off. You got, you know, you start with an hour, graduate to two hours, but nothing bombards you. You clear your schedule and you just think. You plan, you strategize, you, you just figure out whatever it is that you want to do. Um, you ask yourself great questions, you journal these things. Um, that, to me, creating that space to figure out what I wanted, that was huge. Most people, my experience is they just live life on autopilot and they just go from thing to thing to thing. Their schedule's so booked, they go you know, from one event to the next, one meeting to the next. It's really hard to get clarity in that. I think if people built enough time to actually think, they could uh, create a much more vibrant life, much more wealth on every front. But most people don't do that. That's not the norm. You know, it's it's um, culturally acceptable to work tons of hours and to yeah. get ahead and to climb the corporate ladder. It's weird to like take time to think for yourself and to carve that out and to not be bombarded by social media or notifications. You're touching on something really profound. Like my whole body kind of tensed up because it's been a hot point for me when I've gone on other shows and people ask me something like, well, what keeps people stuck? And I'm like, well, that's a big question. Like <laughs> there's a lot of things that keep people stuck, but when it comes to money, it's really about, can you admit, can you surrender that you have become victimized by your own intellect and victimized by the trappings and distractions of society. Because let's face it, Justin, if I'm not carving out time for myself, if I'm not breathing properly, we did some breath work before we started the podcast, which it was good. Maybe it was the first that time awesome. that you had done some breath work like that before. And it was just 20 circular breaths. If we're not cultivating these physical habits, then the mind gets cloudy. Our body gets uncomfortable. The mind gets cloudy. And the next thing you know, 
watching sports and drinking beer is better than connecting with God, connecting with spirit. Um, doing things that aren't healthy become more more attractive in, in, in the, the syrupy sweet nectar of like um, sitting at the bar for 12 hours becomes more fun than you being with yourself. Like, have you, you seem like you've always had a pretty good ethic since 18. I don't know, maybe not, but have you, how has that played out for you to literally put up healthy barriers to keep away society's tentacles, social media, computers, and everything like that? And, and if not for you, maybe some of the students and maybe some of your, your partners in your programs, how has that played out? That's such a fun question. It's such an interesting question. I mean, we could go a lot of layers into this one. I feel like we all experience it, though, on yes. many different levels. That, yes. that kind of distraction tentacle yes. that wants to rob us. Without a doubt. And, you know, for me, I, I have had a great work ethic, um, really, I mean, just probably from modeling from my father um, and then just other people that I saw that were successful and and had achieved some of the things I wanted to achieve. And so my work ethic early on was misdirected. It was misdirected into maybe just like getting stuff done. Maybe it's even, and by the way, I'm guilty of this where uh, I've got this long list of to-dos. Well, why don't I just get really busy at like knocking off all the easy ones versus like going after the ones that are actually going to yield the most fruit, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting. Like in my younger years, my work ethic was directed to building businesses and to like growing sales and building recruiting teams or whatever it might be. Uh, later on, my work ethic started you know, really pouring into how do I buy assets that produce income instead of my time producing income? How do I learn from the greatest minds out there? And so I became a student. So I had, you know, all these coaches who had no clue that they were my coach because I was just reading all their books, right? Um, so I became an avid reader and I directed a lot of my work ethic from doing into being and learning and becoming. And so that was a really nice shift. I wish I would have learned it later, but I'm so thankful that I learned it, you know? Um, so today, I mean, I read a ton. I have this insatiable desire to learn, to grow, to, you know, figure out what's next, who's doing something better, how can I model, how can I emulate? Uh, and so that's really fun to me. I'm just very curious at heart. Me too, man. In the bookshelf here in the studio, I probably have half those books I haven't read yet. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of this. Oh, Don't yeah. you have a lot of books you haven't oh, read yeah. yet in your house? Oh, without a doubt. And you're like, okay, one day I'm going to do it. But you know what's been really powerful for me is Audible. Yeah. I love Audible. I go for a walk. I'm getting educated as I'm walking. I take yep. my son out. We go for a walk and I get smart. Yep. It's beautiful. This is why people are with us right now, maybe on YouTube or on Apple or Spotify, and they're getting smart with us as That's they're right. walking up the stairs or whatever it is. There's a thing that I've been coming across and I've never heard the term. I'm curious how you feel about this. It's called synergy stacking. I don't know if I made the term up or not. I Googled it. I couldn't find anything, but I've put this into the Breathe program and I've been teaching some of my clients this. When you do multiple things that all blend together and that are really, really friends, like walking and learning or maybe something else, can you think of a synergy stack for investing and being a lifestyle investor that, that you put into practice yourself? How do you stack things well? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this is, I, I love that phrase. Um, I love the whole idea around it. I love just, I mean, what a great synergy stack. You know, Tony Robbins talks about net time, no extra time. Uh. So, you know, taking a walk, you want to take a walk anyway right? Well, you throw an audible in there. And I do this all the time too. I love it. I love working out, listening. I love walking, listening, riding my bike, whatever. I just yeah. love to consume. I rarely listen to music anymore. I'm like, right. I'm just like 
And then when I listen to music, I'm with my partner. Yep. <laughs> you know, totally. That's it. Yeah, and I, but you can do this in anything, right? You're, you know, this synergy stack or uh, kind of creating layers that allow you to get ahead. I mean, it's kind of like you know where the the hack uh, type of terminology has has evolved, like life hacking and and all that um, shortcuts to success or you know, really um, empowering routines and habits. You can do that in anything. You can do that across the board. So yes, for sure, I do this in investing. And um, some of that happens to be like, hey, what if uh, the people that I want to spend time with are the people that I want to invest in their deals? What if these people know things that I don't know? Well, if I hang out with them, I'm going to learn these things by default. They're going to talk about them. I'm going to learn them. I'm going to ask questions. So, I mean, that's just a subtle way of doing it. So what happens? And then there's the difference of, hey, are you doing this subconsciously? And then are you consciously pursuing these, you know, strategy stacks, if you will? Uh, And so I think subconsciously, you know, people do that. If you if you listen to podcasts that have a growth element in them, subconsciously you're going to make these moves. But then you can exponentially compound it by intentionally adding to it. So some of the stacks you do is just hanging out with friends and colleagues that you resonate with, that you vibe with, and you're learning. So, but but this is a key point too, and I'm glad you mentioned that. There's been a narrative for a long time with me that I had to make peace with, and it is, would I still hang out with somebody if I wasn't interested in the money that I could make when I hang out with them? And I had to be really honest with myself about that. And the way that I understand it now, and it took a long time for me to get here because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like in 2015, I was literally coming from like a scrapping energy where I would just do anything I could, make friends with anybody I could. And maybe like you said, that's a season. Maybe we all go through those seasons, but where I'm at now is, is a greater place of wisdom, a slower approach. And the way that I think about it is I don't hang out with people because I like their money or because I want their money. I hang out with people because I like the way they think. I, I like the way they approach life. I like the lens that they look at life through because I aspire to, or I hold currently the lens that, that we're both looking at together. How has the friend groups that you had in your thirties shifted? Has it been a massive shift or has it been more gradual? Was there a point in your life where you're like, I'm done with this person or I'm done with this group? And you literally just said, that's it. And then maybe your life changed after that. Well, I think that to find role models that you respect, um, I mean, first of all, most people don't even take step number one, which is let me find people that are doing the thing that I want to spend time with them. Most yeah. people don't do that. So if you just do that, that's, you know, that's step one. That's 101, right? If you want to get to 201, it's like being intentional. Well, where do I need to grow? You know, if, if you want to get more fit, you by all means should be hanging out with people that are more fit. Uh, that could be like friends, you know, getting tips from them. It could be hiring a trainer. Um, but if that is a value and a desire, then you should be hanging out with that. So if you want to get more financially fit, you should hang out with people that are more financially fit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I also think that in doing so, um, check the motive at the door, right? Is this like, are you using this relationship just to get what you want? Or are you giving back in some way uh, to the best of your ability? Yeah. And and 
I don't think it's bad to hang out with people because, hey, I want to, you know, get better in this space. But if you're, if the intentions are just, you know, me, 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 like self-serving, uh, and it doesn't go beyond that, um, yeah, I do think that that could be problematic. Uh, for me, you know, I, I just, at different stages of my life, I've seen who I hang out with, and um, proximity really drives um, most of the relationships that people have. So who you work with, um, who your neighbors are, who your kids go to school with, who you play sports with, who you go to you know, classes with, um, these are the drivers generally of the relationships that you have. You know, in my younger years, um, you know, I had a lot of fun going out to bars and uh, watching sports. And by the way, don't get me wrong, I still love sports, but um, I would notice who my peer group was. And I don't know that all those indiv- actually, I know that all those individuals were not helping me become a better version of me. Um, and for a while, I was blind to that. And in time, I figured out, well, there's some people that are dragging me down and other people that are pulling me up. But if I'm just going to let proximity determine where I'm going and and what my influences are, yeah, I'm probably not going to get as far ahead as if I'm intentional and I say, hey, I actually want to get better in this area. So why don't I bring someone in? Why don't I make friends with someone that knows this and you know we can connect on this level? And so my uh, peer group really shifted from convenience and proximity to intentionality and growth and uh, desire. Yeah. And was there an age that you really started to notice that? Tony Robbins was a very pivotal figure for me in this recognition. And so I read books of his, started going to his events, and just realized that who I want to become was, um, I, I was on a slow path to getting there and that I needed intentionality to, to, you know, step up. I needed to make a plan. I needed to not have default run my life. I needed yeah. to have a design and um, have a game plan. And so, you know, I went through all of his programs and those were just phenomenal. And I just, I met people that were, that showed up with a different energy, kind of like, you know, when you show up here in Austin, you just feel something different. There's a different vibe here. The people there, it was a different vibe than who I was hanging out with. Um, you know, one good move I made in my earlier years is that I did spend time with the people that were doing the best in the businesses that I was involved in. Um, and so I wanted to play at their level. So how do I do that? Well, I just copy them. I make friends with them. I, you know, use what they're, they're doing. And then it became bigger than that. Then it became like, you know, not just business, but life. And in time, I just started resonating with those people. It was like um, the, the like I didn't want the time to end. It was so fruitful, so enjoyable. Time just passed. Like you look down, you're like, "Whoa, where'd four hours go? Yeah. That's incredible." And and that's because I found people that really wanted the things that I wanted. We were on the same page. We had a similar mindset, and that's when the game changes. The I mean, su- that's the, the gold. The sweet spot I feel is um, being friends with those kind of people, and then when push comes to shove when like the chips go down when there's economic upheaval when people really need each other then you really find out who your true friends are because i think it's super easy to have like rings of friends like for me i i really probably only have 
on two hands, 10 friends or less that if they called me in the middle of the night and they needed a ride somewhere, or if they really, you know, the wheels are falling off the wagon, I'd be there for them and they're there for me. And I don't know, Justin, if we're designed for more than that, like, you know, a couple handfuls of really, really close people. And then there's the second ring. There's a second ring where it's like, they're good friends, but maybe they're not that close. Then there's the third ring where, okay, these are my colleagues that we have fun together. Maybe we enjoy each other. And then there's the outer ring, which is just more acquaintances. Where do you spend the most of your time in those rings? Well, this is where my intentionality really steps up. I've been, um, so first of all, I had several very wise mentors tell me that you really can't have too many more deep, strong relationships like than 12. Like 12 is kind oh, of the magic 12. number. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I, okay. That, that makes sense. When you go beyond that, then the 12 will start lacking. By the way, that doesn't mean everyone has to have 12, but that's right. kind of like, that's the limit. Yeah. How did they come up with 12? What's that number? What's you know, so special about that. There, there's a lot of different theories. A lot of people have, you know, I mean, you have some people that take a, a scientific look at it. You have some people that take a relational look at it. You have some people that take a biblical look at it. Mm. Um, you know, so there's a, a lot of different ways. I've just, I've heard this nonstop, 10 and 12 being the two numbers and, and 12 more scientifically, uh, you know, stated, I guess, you know, fact-based uh, on, you know, some data, some criteria. Okay. So anyway. Around I, 12. Around 12. I don't think the number really matters. And yeah. by the way, if you only have like two or three great friends your entire life, but you have just, you just pour into each other. I think that's incredible. So you don't have to get there. But um, what I started doing, um, this is about, I don't know, probably 18 years ago. Uh, I started being intentional with um, planning out goals and dreams and writing them down. Uh, early on, I would actually print it out as all on one page. I would tape it to my bathroom mirror huh. and I would look at it. Here are my top 10 goals for the year here, you know, and literally everything was right there. I looked at it every day. And the reason I did it is so I couldn't forget. It was in my face. And um, from there, it evolved into like bigger, you know, type of workshops that I would do. And then uh, when I met my wife while we were dating, I kind of introduced her to some of this planning that I do. And at first she thought I was crazy. Shocker. And yeah. She just, wa this wasn't her world, but she kind of like fell into, you know, wanting to do it with me or at least curious. And over time, I mean, we, so we have this marriage and planning day that we do where we plan everything um, and not to a T where everything's planned, but like really important stuff we map out and, you know, who do we want to be? Who do we want to spend time with? So yeah. literally in this planning document every single year. I mean, I've been doing this for either 14 or 15 years. I literally lay out who are my 12 people that I need to get one-on-one -on -one time that I'm going to be intentional with this year. Who are the 12 people, my 12 relationships? And by the way, we have it broken down also into couples. Um, so who are the couples that, you know, we can have like an outing, a double date, whatever, four of us, uh, maybe six of us, but it's it's the group that we vibe both sides, right? Because sometimes, you know, your your spouse's friends, you don't vibe with as much or yeah. she doesn't or he doesn't vibe with, you know, your uh, friends as much. And so finding like four that everyone is really excited about, you know, that that's, that's special. Yeah. So it's getting intentional there where we're spending time. So not just let it, not just saying yes to whoever says, Hey, you want to hang out? 
but being on a mission to say, hey, these are the couples we want to get time with. These are the 12 people that for me individually, like I just need to make sure I get time with them. And on my list is is also mentors um, that I really want pouring into my life. And And on my list of 12, by the way, it's not necessarily all 12 people that are like, the closest friends. It's like in that season, um, who needs to be in my life? So sometimes I might have a mentor that isn't yet a mentor. They don't know that I want them to be a mentor or they don't know that I want them to be in my peer group, but I'm going to pursue them. Yeah. And so they might be in my top 12, even though we're not, you know, tight yet. They just don't know it yet. That's right. They don't know they're in your inner ring. I love that. That's cool synergy that we had there. Cause I, I just assumed that it felt right that there was about two handfuls of people that I really, really trust and that I really vibe with. Before we go, man, I want to go into just a few nuts and bolts because these 10 commandments that are in the book, you can obviously go right here wherever you're watching this podcast and just access all of Justin's work. It's right below. But there's this number five that I love actually. And no, it's number three. Watch for the invisible deals. Look at emerging markets unconventional opportunities for in, for interesting investments. It's not just cryptocurrency that you're talking about. Cause I, um, I hold, I hodl cryptocurrency and I'm not going to sell it. And I'm going to, it's a long game for me. I don't know if that's what you mean by an emerging market or what do you mean by emerging market? Cause this applies to, to really novice investors and seasoned investors as well. This is a really huge nugget. Yeah. You know, I, I think that an emerging market, um, I mean, time will tell if you are correct or not. But, you know, I try and pay attention to the trends. I, I try to see what is happening. Um, a lot of the success that I have had in investing has been because I've had a gut feeling that the next wave, the next season, however many years or months that is, that this is uh, going to be relevant. And so I got in really early on the single family homes uh, kind of wave before it was an asset class. I got in really early on mobile home parks before that was, you know, a cool thing or, um, you know, recognized as, as a great asset by Wall Street. Um, I got in early on e-commerce. Um, I got in early on cannabis, hemp, CBD. There, there's so many waves. I got in early in, in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Um, so there's so many things where, uh, I do think trends are important and not just what you think, but what does the market think? Or maybe the market doesn't even know yet, but you're so confident in its use case, its utility, that that is the future. Um, I got in early even on industrial warehouses and distribution centers, um, which support e-commerce. And so there, there are certain things where um, they're, they're just... They're, they're going to be the future. So NFTs, I would say, you know, is another thing. Now, the world of crypto and the world of NFT, um, they're not all going to be hits. Uh, you're probably going to have yeah. the vast majority that are not. But as a whole, there's no way that NFTs are not going to be a major player in the future. There's no way as a whole cryptocurrency is not going to be a player in the future. Now, I do think most of the projects out there are probably not good. They're not strong. They're, yeah. you know, it's they are startups and most startups fail. This is why angel investing is the riskiest, toughest way to invest, where you're just investing in an early stage company and hoping that it works. That to me is like what most crypto projects are. But you find the right ones, you find the ones that have utility, you find the ones that 
uh, they they have you know they've got a track record. Bitcoin has a track record. I don't think it's going to zero. You know, I think it's going up. And by the way, in the interim, there's turbulence. But if yeah. the long game is, I think it's going to be 100k or 500k or whatever number you think it is. Like if you think it's going to be greater than it is today, then it really doesn't matter what price you buy it at. You know, early on it was like, oh, I want to time it perfectly. I only want to buy it when I get a good deal. Mm-hmm. Well, what's a good deal right now? What's a good deal is way different than next year and 10 years from now. And so it's really playing the long game of, hey, is this technology, you know, is, is this relevant? You know, are people going to want some sort of decentralized yeah. um, financial system that is outside of a sovereign uh, I you say know, hell fiat yes. system? Yes, right. they are. Right. Uh, so I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know that it's going to, you know... Um, who knows inside of like the next six months, the next year, but long-term, yeah, I think that that's the case. And so I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, but you find invisible deals, you find trends, you find off-market deals, you find deals that you can get without competition um, or little competition, that's where you can make some big returns. This is a different sense. It's not a sixth sense, or maybe it is, but it's like you said, a gut feeling, like you, you've been in the world for so long, you've been investing since you were 18 for people that are beginning the journey, because I I know that's probably, unfortunately, the majority of people, they're literally hearing this podcast for the perfect reason where it's like, now's the time to start. Literally, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start now because there is no other time in the present, which is, that's a whole different podcast. (laughs) We're here right now. So if you want to invest right now, how would one develop the intuitiveness to find invisible deals? Like how would they study that and, and gather that? Well, I think most people are probably not going to develop that right out of the gates. It's not like the next day after you've decided, I'm going to be intentional, I'm going to figure this out. I think the better play is partner with people that have education, have expertise, have a track record. I mean, track record's so important. Mm. Anyone the last 10 years, anyone has done well. We've had so much money just pumped into our system. Um if you have not done well in the last 10 years, it's, you know, it's, you've had to make some big mistakes, right? So the last 10 years, I don't know if it's a great indicator. I mean, you really want to see like, hey, who's who's made money outside of this bull market? Um, and, and then it's figuring out like, what's, the, so spend time with the people that have expertise, spend time with people that have the track record, invest in the things that the smartest, most successful people you know are investing in, uh, and start there. And by the way, the best education you'll ever get is when you put your own money into something or the season right before you put it in where it's really hard to let go of it as you're figuring out what you want to invest it in. Um, I mean, let, let's just put it this way. Let, let's say that you know, only 5 10% of all cryptocurrency actually plays out. The ones that play out are going to be big. Most of them are likely going to fizzle out. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, you might see some of that same, you know, maybe it's the same with NFTs, but th- there's a place to be able to, um, you know, mark uh, ownership. And, uh, but all this that we're talking about is built on the blockchain. So fundamentally, I think the blockchain is the next wave. It's the future. So how do you get a piece of that, right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, there are funds that you can do it. But the reality is that's the technology that, I mean, e- each of these technologies, each of these innovations in itself can be great. But 
what's the thing that is going to become uh, what everything is built on in the future? And I don't know that there's any way to dispute that blockchain is going to be that. Yeah. Even for like mainstay, normal things like purchasing a home, you know, uh, there is going to be a way to log that differently than, you know, uh, deed and, you know, having a title insurance and and having a, a title office, uh, you know, perfect everything for closing. Like th- that is today, but in a certain point, you're going to be able to see it because it's right on a ledger that everyone can know. You don't have to have someone research to see who rightfully owns it. You yeah. will see it with your own eyes. It blows me away that people still use paper. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, I get it though. I understand why, because let's say if you're a doom and gloom person, you think that the world is going to end and the, you know, the government's going to cut the power and blah, 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 blah. I understand that, but really like that's the way of the dinosaur. I feel like paper transactions and having huge file cabinets with papers. It's like, if you're doing that, you're really living in a time that's, that's foregone. Um, so uh, any other advice you can give us about the, the finding the hidden deals, finding hidden things to me, it feels like just having an interest and having a curiosity in hanging out with the people that that's their profession, maybe joining a newsletter, joining little groups. It's like we gather slowly. And I think a lot of us, and I've fallen into this trap in my past where I want to get like the thing. I want to get like the one subscription or I want to get the one piece of information that's going to change my life. And if I could just share any wisdom and I'm curious the wisdom you could share, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that because um, if it's too good to be true, it may or may not be, but it most likely is. And there's no such thing as Wonka's golden ticket. You're not going to unwrap one piece of wisdom and it's going to change your life forever. So how do you feel about that? Has it been cumulative for you in this um, hidden deals market, finding the hidden yeah, so I agree with what you said with uh, one caveat. Okay. One mindset shift can change everything, right? So maybe you don't learn the one thing. So maybe it's not the one thing, you know, the golden ticket. But if you can have the equivalent of the golden ticket for your mind, where you just start seeing things that you didn't see before, you interpret things differently, you're open to a different strategy, that can be the game changer. Um, and I just think that you get that by surrounding yourself with, with the people that... Um, you know, are playing the game of life and business and investing the way that you want to play it, that mm. have the family maybe that you want to have yeah. and have all the other things. Um, you know, the other thing that I would say is if you're unsure how to get started, um, you know, obviously trust those that have done it before and have gotten great results. But we're living in a, a time where in the last 40 years, we, we have the greatest inflation that we've ever seen. In the last 40 years, well, of course, we have more money being pumped into the system than ever before. We have trillions of dollars, $30 trillion. And by the way, this is just what we know about. It's actually greater than that. Yeah. But let's just call it, you know, $30 trillion. Let's just call, you know, call it what it is. In the last two years, we've had 40% of the money that's in circulation created in the last two years. Okay. So almost half of the money in circulation was just created. So there's no way on earth you will ever uh, get me to believe that inflation is just 7%. That's what they said in December based on, you know, whatever whatever odds and ends they yeah. chose to figure out the inflated prices. But the reality is, is money is becoming worth less. There's more of it in the system. If you sit on cash, it becomes worth less every single day. 
So the thing to me that is the best thing to do is to buy an asset that is going to appreciate. Ideally, this asset cash flows so it can help you live a great life. Um, And so that to me is like the starting point. How do you buy an asset that isn't going to go to zero? That, you know, when you buy assets, as monetary supply increases, the asset increases. They, they you know, kind of keep up with each other. Mm-hmm. They become worth more simply because the cost is greater because you have more money in the system. So owning assets keeps, your, keeps you in line with inflation. If you own the right assets, you get ahead. You can have greater returns. And if you own assets that have cash flow, well, then in that instance, you are mitigating the risk of having to sell if the economy tanks because you don't ha- you're not trying to invest in something just based on the uh, appreciation of it or the appraised value or what you could sell it for you've got cash flow to sustain it um, so to me that's kind of like ground zero mm-hmm. you know build your cash flow cover your bare minimum expenses then eventually cover your lifestyle but i mean just cover mortgage and uh, utilities and car payment and groceries, just cover the basics. And I, I guarantee it'll feel like taking a backpack full of weights off. I mean, it's, it's just, it's life giving. Yeah. And then you can breathe better because you're not pinned down by the chest. So many people that um, are in our audience and that deal with the main pressure, it's either time or money. And I think there's a direct correlation between those. And, and I don't know if people truly want to become millionaires. They really just want to be time rich. Yeah. <laughs> they want to have time to spend with their friends and family. So as we wind down, what are just a few of the ways that we can get these assets that produce cash flow be- besides real estate and land? Real quick, one thing I want to say, you said, you know, becoming millionaires. Who cares if you're a millionaire? Mm-hmm. Who cares? I mean, you can have a killer life based on cash flow and not have a million net worth, and you can live an incredible life. I mean, before I had a million dollars in assets, I had cash flow that covered everything that I needed to cover, right? And so I, I just want to say that to me, uh, it, it is way more important to have the utility of cash flow for lifestyle than it is for any net worth number. I mean, cash flow to me is king. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a few ways that you can do it. Um, I mean, there are certainly riskier ways than not. Um, I mean, if you really want some, all right. So this is a a long discussion that I'm trying to shorten down because there's a lot of different paths that people could go. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, who knows what the next season of economic times are here in the U S in the world, one thing I'll say is the world of private credit. Um, when it, when you're basically um, let's let's call it debt, debt and credit, interchangeable. Let, let's just call it you know private credit, um, a good return where you're in a senior secured position, meaning you have collateral that equals or is greater than the dollars you have in an investment or in a loan um, that you're the first person to be paid back if something goes wrong. And you may just get that asset that is better than, you know, worth more than the amount that you have in. That's one simple way of doing it. Um, Another way is by owning, you know, some sort of income producing real estate, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Another way is, uh, I mean, 
in the crypto space, I think it's a little bit riskier, but you can stake, you know, and, and I think that uh, that one's not fail-proof, but a lot of people are doing that. We don't know what that's going to look like in the long haul, for sure. Um, but I also think that there are strategic plays that you can do in private equity where you invest in a company and maybe you um, get a piece of the rev share or a profit share. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get a royalty on something. You could you know, advise and you know, set up an agreement that way. There are endless ways to get cash flow. Um, so it's less about uh, what's right and what's wrong and more about like pick an asset that you think has value that isn't going to go to zero. In the stock market, you can have stocks go to zero. They can become worth nothing. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. Um, in real estate, it's probably not going to zero. You might lose money, but I don't think it's going to zero. And if you buy right, uh, you probably are making money even if it decreases. In private equity, there's a larger range, right? You, you invest in someone's business. Well, you could do it in an equity play where you don't get anything and you wait for 10, 15, 20 years to see if anything happens. Uh, or you can invest in a way where you get a piece of cash flow. Or you can buy a business. And you can buy a business that has uh, the salary built in to have an operator run it so you don't have to run it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the best things I did. I, I um, bought a dog training company. Uh, I don't know anything about dogs. All right. I don't own a dog. I'm not, I mean, I like other people's dogs, but I don't know much about it. But I knew that that business um, had $75,000 allocated to the person that was running it. Uh, one of my partners that I brought in uh, was working a corporate job. He was making $65,000 a year. So I could bring him in to run it. He makes a $10,000 pay raise and I give him a bunch of equity and now he is fired up. So I didn't have to do any work for that business. It was a cash cow. And then we ended up selling it at a year and a day for almost a 3X. That's amazing. Okay, so people can go to your website, which we'll link below. But for somebody who's literally, and I go back to this again, because I know a lot of people are in this space, just beginning. Do you offer resources? Do you have a place where you send people where if they are just beginning, they can go? Yeah, so I mean, I think... You know, checking out my book is probably the the best first step for someone that wants to you know kind of do it at their own speed. Yeah, uh, and you can go to lifestyleinvestorbook.com uh, for your audience. That's uh, gives it to them for free. They just pay for shipping. Awesome. Uh, you can get it, of course, on on Amazon. Um, all the proceeds of my book, by the way, go to Love Justice International, which is um, an organization that worldwide is fighting human trafficking. And and mm. really, the the truth of it is, it's that's a watered down. Term. They're, they're fighting child sex slaving. Uh, and so I think it's a, a wonderful organization and doing just great things. So the book, I want to be uh, financial education for people, but I want it to also, I want the proceeds to buy yeah. freedom. So people can gain financial freedom. I want children to gain real freedom. Um, so that, you know, is, is the book. If you go to justindonald.com, I've got, you know, all kinds of things there. I've got a blog, uh, I've got a podcast, um, I've got an online course, a mobile home park, uh, course that we just released, uh, a masterclass, a mastermind. Um, the mastermind is, uh, you know, we've got a bit of a wait list on that and, and, uh, it's an incredible group, but, uh, that one will be, there's a barrier to entry for sure. Sure. Okay. Well, this is the book right here. So if y'all are interested in freedom, 
which yes, we are, <laughs> um, get the book, uh, number one Wall Street Journal, USA Today bestseller. As we say goodbye, can you give us wisdom around wellness? Can you give us wisdom about what you believe wellness actually is? As you sit here with me today in the studio, like, how do you see wellness? How do you define wellness? What is wellness to you? Wellness to me is being in a place where you feel great, that you feel great about those who you're around because you feel great about yourself. Um, you've done the things to take care of you and feeding you, and you can be a resource then to others to uh, steer them in a direction where they can become better or you know more wellness-focused. You said the word resource, which really hit me. And um, in order to be resourceful, we have to be responsible. <laughs> mm -hmm. We have to be responsible. And I laugh because um, so much of my life, I was really reactionary. I, I was just kind of flinching at responsibility. So can we just, like as Jordan Peterson says, can we, can we bear the burden better? And can we be more responsible? Can we fill ourselves first is a lot of what I felt. We covered a lot of ground, man, on this, on this podcast. And you've done a lot of interviews and, and your work is very nuanced. There's a lot of depth there. What did we not cover? What can you leave people with when it comes to um, being a lifestyle investor? Well, in the book, you know, it's called The Lifestyle Investor, but the subtitle is The Ten Commandments of Cashflow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's really my 10 criteria for why I invest the way that I do and what I look for in an investment. And so we covered one of them. We covered invisible deals, number three, right? But, um, you know, we've, we, there are nine other commandments that I think are just as important as that one. Um, some of them are, you know, a little bit of what we've talked about here today, but the very first one is lifestyle first, and it's focused on how do you invest in a way, invest your time, invest your resources in a way that provides value to you, to the lifestyle that you want to live. And I think that that really sums it up, and, and I kind of bookend it with my 10th commandment of every dollar gets a return, which is if you're going to spend money on professionals or masterminds or, you know, networking events and whatever else it is you do, that you are learning the lessons and really able to take that knowledge and use it for the future, not pay someone else to do something so that they do it, but pay someone something so that they can teach you what they're doing so you have a baseline of that next time. And to be involved in a group uh, or many groups where you are resonating with those people and, you know, whether it's a group that you have assembled and it's just friends and you're meeting regularly or whether you're paying to be in a mastermind uh, with like-minded people that are playing the game of life and business and investing at the level you want, that you're getting a return on those dollars as well. Man, it's a great conversation and you drop so many nuggets. They're right below. You guys share this podcast if it resonates with you, if you have somebody in your life who feels disempowered when it comes to money. Uh, until Justin and I see you again, we're both wishing you love and wellness. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Josh from Wellness Force. On my weight loss journey, I've been taking the ACV tablets from our friends and partners over at Paleo Valley. Now, I didn't know this, but the ancient masters and contemporary in health and wellness, especially in Ayurveda, talk about the powerful benefits of ACV. But most people don't know that drinking ACV every single day will actually wear down your tooth enamel. So I met with the founder. She told me about this on the podcast, and now I get to share the benefits 
benefits and the healthy tooth promotion with you. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. You can get 15% off your order by entering the code Josh. That's capital J O S H. This product I've been taking before I go in the sauna. It's been incredible. I've been noticing that my mood stabilizes and when I eat the foods, I've been checking it on my CGM and the results are awesome. You're going to know all about this on the future podcast that we do as well as the blog post. But if you yourself are interested in managing your blood sugar, stabilizing your blood sugar, aiding your weight loss journey, use the ACV tablets from Paleo Valley. I trust in this brand. I take it every day myself, especially before I sweat or if I'm doing some intermittent fasting. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash Paleo Valley. Enter the code Josh to get 15% off your order. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.